the subject for the evening talk is what am I doing back here? Um, there are a number of you in here. <laughs> who are rather uh, familiar with the uh, regime of the retreats and have been coming quite regularly. And the question also could be uh, addressed, of course, equally to those people who are uh, here for the first time as well, or, and specifically the first time in a retreat. What am I doing here? And in the period of time, whether it's a few days or a few retreats or many retreats and uh, uh, many years, um, the intentions and the explorations of the inner can and do vary quite considerably from person to person. And there may have been some times while you are here that you perhaps have found yourself engaged in some reflection over previous times, previous uh, retreats, whether in the recent or distant past. And for uh, a number of people, that the uh, recollection uh, of the past may have been that certain issues and circumstances uh, in your life drove you, as it were, into this kind of social environment that things and very specific areas and issues in one's life did need to be addressed and worked with. And there was the hope and possibility that here that would be made uh, available and in practical and clear terms. And in the relationship to being here for others, uh, coming here may have been through recommendation, uh, through inspired by reading, or through what one has just heard in the general outflows of day-to-day -day conversations. And there were some, not much, so much in the way of issues or dramas or suffering, but uh, rather some curiosity. Curiosity if one could cope with long days of silence. Curiosity as to whether one could uh, uh, meditate, whether meditation has any usefulness and validity and reference and support for day-to-day -day circumstances. Others, too, in arriving and coming into the situation here through motivations which neither in the issues, suffering or a curiosity category, that when one looks at oneself and reflects particularly on, on the past, it may not have appeared to be anything specifically outstanding. And one can simply put it into, I had a week uh, spare, I heard about this, I thought I would go along and see what it's uh, all about. And in that kind of light and spirit, one finds oneself uh, in such a, a situation as this. 
So reasons, motivations, whether compelling or curiosity or circumstances of life, we find our way through the doors of such places and into contact with situations like this. And for a number of people, both in the present and who have references from, from the past, there may have been a range and variety of, of experiences which took place or insights or realizations perhaps through uh, the small groups, the one-to-ones, the inquiry, the evening talks, much of which is not that anything specifically new is being expressed that you don't know already, but perhaps, and easily as it can be with our lives, forgotten, uh, neglected, in the rush and the busyness of things. So being here may have generated and provoked a wide range of experiences, delightful, blissful, pleasurable, beneficial, uh, opening in all the ways that that can occur, various altered states of consciousness which occur, uh, experiences which one knows one's got to face and deal with sometimes unexpectedly. And all of that can and does in its own way contribute to the momentum of these kind of situations. And so it's not unusual for a number of people who have had a fair degree of regular exposure to these will say, will comment, well, I remember when I did my first retreat or in the first retreats that I did, either here or elsewhere, this, that and the other was happening, that there was so much going on for, for me. And that seems to have quite significantly and noticeably levelled off. It seems to me much quieter in my experience of, of things um, at this particular time. <clears throat> for others in this um, movement of one's, shall we call it, personal... Um, uh, retreat uh, uh, history that there are a number of you who have had exposure to retreats not only um, in the period of time of a week or eight days, ten days or whatever but also to longer retreats from uh, several weeks to the three month retreat here to trips to the East India, Thailand uh, etc. other facilities and also have had a tremendous amount of exposure to contemplative life, to these meditations and the basic actualities of existence, both human existence and existence for itself. And all, all of that does bring in its own distinct and sometimes rather quiet way uh, as well an exposure to life which can be forgotten, uh, neglected, are uh, marginalized in the course of everyday circumstances. In that movement of one's uh, uh, retreat life, shall we call it, whether it's short-term or long-term, one of the common tendencies which does arise in various, uh, various ways is some comparison which takes place between today and yesterday, between 
this day and another time between here and and that which was before and so often of course and so easily with all of that we become selective and the selectivity one of the common forms that does show itself is the isolation and the highlighting of a particular experience or sequence of experiences which took place in the past and the mind then says I remember when I remember when everything uh, came clear I remember when I touched my Buddha nature I remember when I had cosmic consciousness I remember when everything fell away I, re I remember when I what found God or whatever and for some that recollection and that description or whatever which was so illuminating at the time so awakening uh, at the time suddenly and, and gradually so to speak finds itself slipping back into the field of time and all that one's got left of all of that is the memory that experience on that retreat or wherever it might be and that's all of the recollection uh, which took place and what can occur in our looking back uh, in the course of time is that in the highlighting of a particular experience that may have happened to a number of uh, people here and the description that goes with it there's a stickiness that goes on with memory and the stickiness which goes on with memory is very easily that we're carrying it and we're carrying it as a yardstick as a reference point for the here and now situation and when we carry it in any way whatsoever then soon as anything begins to happen in the here and now situation the thought and the perception and the memory informing it begins to arise correspondingly almost simultaneously and says ha huh, maybe it will happen again maybe this is it maybe that which I had some other date in the past or whatever is about to surface and I'm going to hit jackpot today on this <laughs> retreat etc and it's a very appealing thought and for some that appealing thought is specifically related to the uh, standing view from a past experience or it's specifically re related to what one has heard or read about or what, whatever in the name of enlightenment in the name of finding God or realizing the truth which is unshakable or whatever and as soon as there's some alterations going on in consciousness the movement of the mind come, comes in like a ferocious Rottweiler dog <laughs> and bites on it and then tragically in the very leaping upon the, for a certain particular experience 
that experience never got the chance to unfold itself <laughs> because one has come in on it with such a ferocity that it's driven it back into the, into the, uh, into the realms of the mind. And this relationship of the unfoldment of inner experiences in life, whatever they might be, can easily be overshadowed if not actively undermined and cut away because of the, the desire to have something special happen to one to make this worthwhile. The desire to have something special happen to one's consciousness, to one's inner life, therefore to, give, to use that to justify all this effort, all this work, all this meditation and having to get up at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and it's an understandable view point because that un the understandableness of the viewpoint is because we get all the whispers of it in various sources and the biggest whisper and, and, and shout was that dreadful event under the Bodhi tree in Budgaya two and a half thousand years ago which has cursed spiritual practitioners for two and a half thousand years ever since. I mean it. I'm not, you, 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 you sit there and you laugh. You think, you think I'm not being serious. So, the, the search, the quest, and the, in that search and that quest for something, how easily it can be, all those intimations, those whispers, those shouts, one might, might say, in a way, we take up, we take on board, we grasp hold of, we make, make much of, and rather unfortunately, in all of that, holding either to past experience or holding to what we think or sh should be happening what it actually does it undermines what is happening we can't see the wood for the trees we can't see what's going on with us because we've got the, the baggage of interpretation we've got the labels we've got the comparing we've got the the memory, we've got the books in our mind, we've got what we've been told and we use all of that and we say, well, I need something to confirm something. Is that so necessary? How is it that in the tradition and in uh, and re referring to the, the Buddha, and uh, other uh, teachers, past, present and future, that if one looks at the text, and some of us, and I have had a great blessing and privilege to uh, be familiar with the, the Buddhist uh, texts, both the contemporary and those that um, have sparked from the original uh, teachings, but one of the characteristic features of the, of the teachings and its unfoldment through generation upon generation. And a little reminder, of, if I'm incidentally, of sitting here in front of the, the microphone, in, in perhaps 
in this two and a half thousand years of what's called Buddhist tradition, previous traditions towards that from the Upanishads, the Vedanta, the Vedanta means the consummation of the Vedas, the liberate, teachings of liberation, all that world of marvellous tradition. In a way, this is the first tradition, first, not first tradition, first generation that's been able to record directly what's said. Rather a privilege for uh, us who have the opportunity. But the first generation of texts, or uh, Dharma teachings, actually going straight onto tape. Last 25 years, 30 years or so, it's been going on in a very direct, active way. And in all of that, one of the things which stands out, and stands out exceptionally clearly for those who have a, we say, a general overview of the teachings, that in matters of realization, in matters of enlightenment, in matters of awakening which is unshakable and nothing, no event on this earth can take it away, that a primary agent and form, vehicle for this was listening was listening. Not only the outer listening, which the three of us have been encouraging and endorsing with much enthusiasm, but equally listening to teachings, whether in inquiry, a small groups, one-to-one, that dialogue, that interaction that we have with each other, as well as the teachings that take place uh, each uh, evening. What was it that in the listening whether it's, in this case, outer listening being primary, it was enough. Do you imagine that in the, those who were listening to, te- to teachings were while listening and then suddenly wham, bam, wham, flash, bang was all going on in, inside and all heaven was breaking loose as distinct from all hell, which is most of the rest of the day. Uh, and all that was going on so there is a free life, a liberated life, an awakened life, a life which is uh, consummated in uh, spiritual realization, which has no major experience to affirm it. No great drama took place, if any, inside, either intellectually cerebrally, conceptually, in which all of the, the language of Dharma suddenly became understood and absorbed and articulated in some other way. No great experience took place in terms of emotional life undergoing tremendous um, uh, changes, nor any kind of spiritual experiences of consciousness and altered states of consciousness in the process of their listening, Yet, realization was there, liberation was there, enlightenment was there, and the power and the potency of uh, suffering and its conditions had lost its grip over consciousness. And yet, in the listening, whether outer or inner, and I'm talking outer for the moment or two, person cannot say, I've noticed anything different going on inside of myself as some kind of experience of confirmation. A 
And if I say and I say again, if one looks in the text, Buddhist texts, texts of, from uh, um, uh, uh, the, the Middle East of the saints and sages there, the, the texts of the Upanishads and the Hindu tradition or whatever, one sees and reads and hears and knows again and again that that element of listening outwardly or in- inwardly can reveal the truth to us without any event going on, yet the outcome of it is not just ordinary mundane mind and slipping back into old patterns and pains and sorrows and distresses of life, but free life, yet no experience made it uh, in some substantial way. Not intellectual, not emotional, not changes of ordinary consciousness to cosmic consciousness, none of that. Yet, nevertheless, everything which is the essence of the Buddha's Dharma is revealed. It falls into the inexplicable realms. And as I say again and again, teachings and the ancient texts and the dialogues and events that took place through the years, centuries, keep showing that. One listened and one realised. One was a free human being. One uh, listened and one understood this world was not the problem that one thinks it is. It's gone. The mythology is gone. The issue has, has gone. And it's clear. And nobody, Buddhists alike, nor ordinary mind can ever really explain what it is that can take place. And I'm speaking of one vehicle here, the, the listening vehicle. That same approach, same outlook, is also equally endorsed with inner listening. To make what is obvious, obvious. To make it so obvious. Therefore, we explore together in our condition of being here and in our support and respect for each other as many resources as possible to comprehend and to understand what it is to find the unshakable truth of life, what it is to find God in its immediacy, what it is to understand the Buddha nature or realise the emptiness which makes everything possible that's what we're here for, that and that alone. Everything else, at best, is a preparation for that, at best. In coming into a situation and looking at consciousness, the state of consciousness, I think rather usefully with the Buddha's teachings, uh, he has spoken of it as in terms of gross and subtle. Quite regularly, the language of gross and subtle is used. What can happen is, in coming here, and the question of why am I here, or why am I back here, or whatever, is, as one or two people have pointed out in the small groups and the one-to-one, that there is a certain familiarity in the course of time, naturally enough. And some of the 
reasons, issues, from curiosity to let me see what it's about to issues and, and problems of pain and suffering and confusion in, in life, it can be that the significance of those issues and problems in life uh, or your curiosity factor, etc., has dropped away. It's faded out of the consciousness. And one might say to oneself, well, in its fa fading, aw fading away, what also can fade away equally is some of the motivation and intention. Because one's moved on. One's evolved on. And then we can then begin asking oneself, well, my original motivations and intentions have undergone some change for the various uh, reasons that uh, they can. And what can happen for some people, whether one's relatively new or moved in the Dharma circles for quite some uh, uh, years, is that with the original intentions going, what is one left with? What is one left with? I'm talking about the condition of consciousness. And the condition of consciousness may be that in its relationship to the mind, feelings, thoughts, perceptions, states of mind, attitudes, intentions, all that we call mental feeling life, that one could be left with, as some people do describe, left with, well, either some doubt in the mind, why am I here, what am I doing here, what brings me back here, or the feeling, well, I'm not suffering like I used to be, or I've had so many of these experiences from the, um, from the past, or whatever, and yet I can't really see what's next. Why do I want to be here again? I've done this, I've done that, I've worked with this, I've explored that, I have some sense of what meditation is about, I've learnt the methods, I've learnt the skills. There's a great deal which is familiar to me in all of this, and and I try my best to apply it to my daily life. So, what else, what else would I do? What, else, what way can I go further? And if the mind has some movement in that, data, in that way, if there's a kind of, maybe a, sometimes for some a certain heaviness, or, uh, or some uh, doubt, which is taking place, or a feeling of stuckness, or whatever. In Dharma language, it, it is saying consciousness is still gross. Not in a judgmental way, but in, well, slightly, but in comparison, <laughs> in comparison with subtle. And in that grossness uh, of mind, there can be a certain flatness which is there. And that Flatness of experience. F flatness of what? Flatness on the consciousness. Consciousness is still gross. So larger issues may not be the drama. Meditation issues may not be the drama. But there's still enough of mind resting on consciousness to influence it. And therefore, it 
its liberation is being impinged upon by the state of mind in the moment. Maybe we still, in that respect, have work to do what will bring the consciousness to a greater refinement, to a greater subtlety, so that that, that state of mind of, oh, well, I've done so many retreats, or whatever, isn't a consideration at all. Even a retreat, in fact, is human mythology. Social idea. Where is it? What is it? What is this retreat? What is this? R-E-T-R-E. I can't even spell it. R-E-T-R-E-A-T. So it's a way of perceiving. It's an idea which we associate with, which we invest with, which we build up, which we knock down, which we have views and opinions about, or whatever. But retreat, meditation, form, whatever. As I say, all of that composite idea can be resting on consciousness, resting enough that we're unawakened. And we think, I am in a retreat. And we fasten onto that view, and then I, with one's credentials, because we always ask, how many retreats have you, have you done? And da, da, da. And the I in the retreat form, language, feeling, association gets there. What is it to look more subtly? To look more subtle, to be much more refined in our way of being, almost reverentially refined. So that we don't let this retreat enter into our life. We don't build up retreat. Don't have that idea, whatever it might be. When it does become something, and it's fixed about it in whatever ways we do, then the probability is that one will be looking forward with incredible enthusiasm to Sunday morning. Why? End of retreat. <laughs> one can't go for the great liberation. This will be uh, uh, a minor liberation, getting out of this place and... Uh, <laughs> Sometimes people wonder, it's quite an interesting point, why people, um, why we sit up um, here, the the front here, and uh, speak speak to you, and therefore it does mean that there are a number of people who are sitting behind us and um, um, listening from behind. Well, I think, I'm not quite sure what the the motives uh, are either for ourselves or for, for them, but it, it did occur to me that perhaps, whereas um, the great majority of you um, would be very happy to see the back of us on Sunday morning, um, those who are sitting behind can see the back of us this evening, and uh, it's rather comforting. It's, it's a slight aside, I tried to get back to what I was talking about. <laughs> So if we feel, as I say, understandably, sometimes it's just an energy factor, a certain 
uh, flatness, a certain excesses of familiarity with too much use uh, to it's just another retreat and all that can go along with that. Hopefully that will really alert us. Am I going to take up that view? Am I going to adopt that as the truth of this situation? Because if one is, one will be lost painfully and in an unsatisfactory way in the world of views and opinions and conditioned self. Lost in the world of conditioned self and not even know it. And we're not here to have a comfortable conditioned self. We here to be clear about what the unconditioned is. So, our relationship to the past and our relationship to the formations of mind, the Buddhist word here, the formations of mind in the present, need to be addressed, to, look, to be looked at and looked through. And if in that we still feel a bit stuck or familiar or whatever it might be in the relationship, then perhaps we can ask ourselves, what way can I bring a greater refinement? A certain freshness and innocence and newness to the situation here. What way can I bring that extra care and respect to this extraordinary moment of life that I'm sharing and experiencing with countless others on this earth. Life isn't that long. And all that you and I have to be with, to work with, to look into, to realise and to discover is this moment. This is it for all of us. And to have the, any idea, any thought that somewhere else is it, is a dreadful human deception. The moment is all that we got, but thank goodness, this moment that we have is enough to see the truth of existence throughout the whole field of time. We just need the moment. It offers, us, offers that to us. We offer ourselves to it and in that everything that needs to be understood can be so clearly understood that the cycle of birth, ageing, pain and death has lost its significance because we've seen and unrealised and understood what this moment is revealing to us. And for that we need that subtlety of consciousness. Just like the old texts say and have said to us again and again in the very listening to the uh, teachings that have taken place. For whatever reason, ways and you and I can't really understand and comprehend that in the moment of the listening, in the moment of the practice, in the moment of the awareness, these insights and discoveries came about because something in the relationship of consciousness to life revealed. And it stayed steady, which is its mark of authenticity. So what does it mean to be more subtle, to, to have a more refined experience of life, that we are less gross in our way of life? 
And we, we are taking very simply and very directly the ordinary and the everyday because it's worthy of our relationship and our connection with. And so that might mean in, in the sitting that extra dimension of care. It might mean during the course of, of the sitting that quality, just for a few minutes, of such impeccable stillness as the, the sages of past and present have said that when we move even the little finger or the toe, it disturbs the world, the universe of 10,000 different things. And in our refinement of our consciousness and in the subtlety of our being, one sometimes appreciates and experiences and knows that one small gesture brought into this world affects everything forevermore. Why? Because it's all interrelated. It's all interconnected. And recently, um, Ajahn Damodaro, my, uh, one of my teachers in, in Thailand, I, um, one hears this uh, rhetoric of, having, um, of it being a red-letter day. I don't know if you're familiar with a red-letter day. And I had one of those recently that, for the first time, since I uh, left the monastery, he wrote me a letter. I, this was a, so this was just two or three weeks ago that I received this uh, uh, letter uh, from him. And usually the news, I write to him uh, uh, regularly, and then he passes on um, through the circles and uh, um, um, something wants me to know or to remind me of something. The last message I got uh, in, indirectly was, from one of his, from one of the nuns, um, asking me, um, he sent a message through her. Why didn't I come to his 80th birthday? And so one gets these kind of messages. And in the, and when I re received the, the the letter, I mostly asked again, why aren't, why aren't I visiting Thailand? Why aren't I going to see him in the monastery? He's 81 years of age. Blah blah blah. And one, as I was talking just then, I was reminded that sometimes in the Dharma Hall, in the monastery, when uh, he was giving uh, teachings, he would come in, he would uh, sit down, and then very um, slowly and mindfully just move his hand through the air, like, like this, like I'm doing now, moment to moment, just across there and in that moment to moment movement of, of the hand perhaps make in the silence of things uh, a quiet comment or two that for this to take place the stars have to move their position for this to take place everything else in life is adjusting for that to happen and sometimes these things can seem incomprehensible how can one thing affect and move and change and alter in some gross or subtle way so much else. But that's the world that we live in. Gives an extra factor of awareness, I hope, and responsibility to our way of being in the world and the short and the long-term influences and impact of what we do.
we're so close to each other, inseparably and intimately close to each other, we affect each other in ways that you and I hardly realize and hardly notice. So what does it mean, therefore, to be so utterly still? Of course, influence is, of course, going on. Utterly still, in which there is no wish in heart, mind, or relationship to body to make a gesture to affect anything in this world. To be so utterly still that one is transparent. One is nobody. As though one wasn't. And it might be useful in the subtlety and the refinement of that. Not in a controlled sense, but in a natural sense of that stillness in a transparent way, in which if we existed or if we didn't on this earth, it wouldn't make a difference. Nothing negative or painful about that perception, but a coming not from a reactive mind in any way, a, a, a fearful or negative mind, but coming out of a statement of stillness. So transparent that we move nothing to affect nothing. What would that reveal? What would that make unmistakably clear to us? What would that state in unshakable terms? That kind of refinement, subtlety, we are interested in. We're interested in, I hopefully enough, to find out what that might show to us, which can't be showed in our busyness, in our doing, in our accumulations, in our achieving, and in all our cerebral knowledge. The avenue for knowing has to come, in a way, through another resource. And one might say, but in the walking meditation, or in the eating meditation, or in the listening, or whatever it might be, one might say, well, in those times, I am doing something. And in that doing, I'm engaged in activity, I'm affecting, if I'm walking, I can be affecting the creatures on the ground, I can be affecting other, other people when I'm eating, etc., etc. And so there is a rather strong idea with us, natural enough, human enough, that one is af being affected and affecting. And if we look at our thoughts of our life and our views of our life, being affected by and affecting comes to matter a great deal to us. So much so that we can suffer incredibly over being affected by or affecting part of the world of doing, part of the world of non-stillness. What is it to be so utterly still in which there's not a drop of interest in affecting anybody, nor being affected by? Well, that kind of fades away, that concern on the consciousness. So there's a as I said, a transparency there. 
and we get clearer about this transparency, this transparent self, this transparent doer. Perhaps there's light there. Perhaps there's revelation there which cannot be found through the conditioned moving self involved, affecting and being affected by. And perhaps that light through that stillness and through that silence informs the doing and the affecting and being affected by in such a way that it's miraculous. I mean, enlightened life is clear. Free life is clear. And it's one which isn't bound by conditioned self. May all beings live with insight. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings be liberated. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.